Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. I think this whole series is going to be a little bit tough because if you're joining us for the first time today, we are in a sermon series, a collection of talks on family, on family. If you came to church with your family, just go ahead and punch them in the, in the arm for them if you came with them. Family, if you didn't come here with family, we are your family. Family is good, man. Family is good, but family can be tough. Amen. I know why you didn't say a good amen because you're with them. <laughs> here today and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, pastor. My family's amazing. And uh, your family's got issues. Mine's going well. Last Sunday, I don't know if you were here, but we started the conversation on family where I think it needed to start with the father. And uh, I can't remember a sermon that has impacted so many people. I can't remember a Sunday where there were more tears in the auditorium than there was last Sunday. If you haven't seen that message, you got to go and watch it. Um, Man, you talk about a person's dad, that'll make a grown man cry. (laughs) Grown man cry. And so we're grateful for that. I have a friend on staff who says it ain't real unless, unless they start crying. <laughs> they start crying. But I don't believe that, but I do believe that. Uh, it was a great, it was a healing moment last Sunday. We're going to keep the conversation going on family today. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Mark, chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, that's not a problem. We got you back. Uh, the verse will show up on the screen. So we are in the book of Mark, chapter 3. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Jesus had a family. Like, it wasn't just Joseph and Mary, and I bet you can't even name another family member because that's all you know. Jesus actually had a family. He had brothers. He had sisters. And you would be encouraged to know not only did Jesus have a family, but Jesus also had family drama. Come on, somebody. He sure did. He sure did. Look at Mark chapter 3. verse. This is going to encourage you. When you see Jesus' family, you're going to be like, okay, my family is okay. One time, Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. And soon, he and his disciples couldn't even find the time to eat. And when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. They didn't talk to him. They tried to kidnap him, y'all. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of the religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. And Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? He asked. Verse 24, a kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. And then you know in verse 25, he looked over at his brothers and his sisters, gave them a little side eye. Yes, Jesus gave the side eye. And he said, similarly, as he looked at them in the eyes, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You ready for today's title? Write it down. Family feud. Family feud. It is not a coincidence that in one paragraph of the Bible, there is reference to family members and in that same paragraph, demons. Now, I'm not saying 
that your family members are demons. I'm just, somebody got offended right now. I didn't say that. What I'm saying is I think Jesus is acknowledging that there are two battlefields in life. The battlefield you face when you leave the home and the battlefield you face when you come home. There's two battles. And sometimes the battle at home is a lot worse than the battle outside. Like I'm prepared to deal with a supervisor. Like I don't mind fighting my supervisor every once in a while, but I've been fighting my siblings for years and it's, it's draining on me just a little bit. They always tell you to avoid the people in your life who put you down. But what if the people in life who put you down are your parents? How, how do you avoid them? I don't mind navigating the challenges in life. I, I think I can do that. But what happens when every single challenge seems to come through your children? I prayed to God for a wife, but nobody told me that with the wife would come a war. Mama always told me that someone in life would hurt me to be ready, but I wasn't ready because I didn't know that the someone who would hurt me would be my husband. Family issues, family feuds, family fights, they're, they're serious and, and they're hard and they hurt for a couple of reasons. One, I think the reason why feuds with our family hurt so much is because home is not supposed to be that. Home is supposed to be the place where you go to recharge so you can face your other problems. <laughs> like my phone, I don't have it on me, but my phone has a home. Every day I take it out into the world and we go on great adventures. But when I come home at night, I take my phone and I put it on my nightstand and I plug it into the wall and that phone gets recharged so that it can do what it wants to do or what I needed to do throughout the day. Some of y'all are drained emotionally, physically, and spiritually because the place that's supposed to be charging you is draining you. And you face every day in the real world on empty because you never got recharged at the place you were supposed to get recharged. Yeah. I think family stuff hits hard because if you think of home as a castle, as a fortress, I got the four walls, right? So any attack that comes at me from the outside in, I'm ready to defend. But what happens when the attack comes from inside the walls? I wasn't ready for that. It's like, if you're going to hit me, I can brace, you know, like hit me, give me your heart. Okay, that hurt. But if I didn't see it coming, it can be a punch in the gut. And I think the last reason why family battles are so hard is because for whatever reason, we are celebrated when we fight battles outside the home. But have you ever noticed how we're shamed when people find out that we have battles at home? It's like we can talk about the stuff out there because the stuff out there is not our fault. But the stuff inside, if you've got problems at home, this is the, the narrative. That's your problem. That's your fault. You did something wrong. And so we're ashamed. So we'll tell everybody, yeah, I got money issues. Yeah, I struggle with the sin. But nobody will know the stuff that's going on between me and my kids, me and my brothers, me and my wife, me and my husband. Nobody knows that stuff because that stuff is, well, we're not going to be ashamed of that this morning. We're going to talk about that stuff this morning. Because I think there's deliverance. In that, you know, lately we've been exposing some of the devil's tactics. A couple weeks ago, we spoke about temptation and about how the goal of temptation is to get you to turn away from God. And I want you to know if the devil cannot get you to turn away from God, here's plan B to get you to turn on your family. Really, because he knows how central it is 
to your everyday life. And this is not a new tactic, by the way. He did it. You know, the very first fight in the Bible was not between two nations. And the very first fight in the Bible was not between two soldiers. The very first fight ever in the Bible was between a husband and a wife. I mean, we don't have record of this, but you can't tell me Adam and Eve did not fight when they left the garden. You knew that, you know they threw down. In fact, I even, I think I know how it happened. They left the garden. They're walking for a couple of miles and all of a sudden, Adam looks over. He's like, hey, we've been walking for a while. You hungry? And Eve's like, oh, thank you for asking. Yes, I am hungry. He's like, cool, cool, cool. You want some fruit? You want some fruit? I'm sure you can find a tree somewhere out here where you can meet your needs. Would you like some fruit? (laughs) And then she looks over at him like, why do you say it like that? And some people think Adam is the only one who had a right to be mad. But if I was Eve, I'd be mad too. I would fight right back. Because the, did you ever read the story when, when Adam eats the fruit and Eve eats the fruit and God goes to Adam and says, Adam, what did you do? The first thing out of his mouth is the woman made me do it. Let's just put this into real life. Imagine that you and your spouse robbed the bank. And then the police come knocking on your door. Yes, uh, we have reason to believe that you and your spouse robbed the bank. Uh, Do you have any information? And the first thing to come out of the husband's mouth is, she did it. Like, that's what happened. And he didn't even say Eve did it. He said the woman did it. If I was Eve, I'd be like, "Mm mm-mm. First off, think, if we're going to pass blame here, okay, let's talk about why you threw me under the bus so quick. And secondly, my name is not the woman. My name is Eve, and I know you know it because you were saying it last night. You knew it then, but you didn't say it when the police came by. All of a sudden, this doubt, I mean, we want to throw, we can throw down right now, Adam. We can do it. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it happened just like that. And it wasn't bad. The first murder ever recorded in the Bible, of course, if you grow up in a family like that, is between their two children, Cain and Abel. A brother kills another brother out of jealousy and anger. The devil is after your family because he understands that family matters. If you start reading the Bible in the beginning of the book, it's going to get real boring at some points. Because, I mean, when the miracles happen, but sure enough, here's when I bet you will sign off. Here's where I bet you will change the channel if you just start and you read for it. When they start to talk about, and this person was the son of this person. And this person was the son. When I see that in my Bible reading plan, I'm just like, I really don't care. But did you ever take a second to wonder why the Bible takes time to reference that this person was the son of this person, was the son of this person? There's a message. Family matters. That's why it's in the Bible. The devil is after it because he knows that family is, is three things. Family, first off, is vocational. Family is vocational. V-O-C-A-T-I-O-N-A-L. In case you're taking notes at home. 
Vocation means purpose. You find your purpose in family, in Jesus, but in family. And I'll tell you what I mean. I'll never forget one Sunday when the church first started. When we launched our church in 2016, the very first Sunday, we had 400 people at our very first service. Now, before you celebrate that, (laughs) by December, it was not 400 people. We were not growing the church. We were making it smaller. Amen. It was not a good deal. Very discouraging. The numbers kept going down, 300, 200, when I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to go the other way. And in January, uh, after a hurricane hit, we had the lowest attendance. We've never had any, it was just the lowest attendance we've ever had at Journey Church. It was 100 and something people. So it was just, that was it. And we just had one service at that time. And I remember being so discouraged and feeling like such a failure. And I came home and I brought my bad attitude home and and that was back when we had off days on Monday. We don't have off days on Monday anymore. As a staff, we have them on Fridays um, because uh, I would come home on Mondays and I would just be a zombie because Sundays took so much energy. But that was when we had off days on Mondays. And I remember we went to Disney. And that was back when we had passes. Um, <laughs> we went to Disney. And, and we went there. And I remember pushing the stroller, still bummed out about how church went, and pushing the stroller. And I remember we, we stopped right at that teapot ride. I don't know the name of it, but that teapot ride with the mouse in the middle that goes up and down. And, and I remember looking at Justice and Zane's face. There were still kids at that age, younger. but still kids now, but they were younger. And they were so happy. I saw their smiles. And then I saw Liz, and she was smiling, and my whole family was smiling. And it was like God was telling me, if you're winning at this, you're winning at everything. That's vocation, see? My first calling is not to be your pastor. It's to be their dad and her husband. And if I'm winning at that, I'm winning at everything. On the other hand, if you're losing at home, you're losing in everything. It's vocational. It's not just vocational. I think the enemy's after it because family is powerful. If I, I used to study. I'm a big history guy. And uh, sometimes we really underestimate what the Industrial Revolution did to America. What is the Industrial Revolution? The Industrial Revolution is when factories started getting built. And at the same time factories started getting built, schools started getting built. And it changed America because before there was the Industrial Revolution, most of America operated not industrially but agriculturally. In other words, families had farms. And everybody in the family worked together to provide food for the family. So one person in the family, as soon as you were old enough to walk, you started picking up eggs. As soon as you were old enough, you milked cows. As soon as you were strong enough, you you carried hay. And the mom did her thing over there and the dad did his thing over there. And it was the whole family working together to accomplish one thing. But when the factories came, the farm shut down. This is what happened. Mom stayed home. That didn't happen until later where she started going into the workforce. But mom stayed home. But as mom stayed home, dad went to work and the kids went to school. Together, we were producing all of this good. Together, we were working towards one goal, accomplishing something great. And somewhere through American history, we traded corporate success for shiny individual accolades. And we just said, I'm going to do this by myself. But that's not how the family started. The family's not designed for everybody to go off and do their own thing because we can do more as one family then we can't. Listen, you think one family, when we started Journey Church, I talked to the kids. They were little babies. But I was like, hey, you guys in this? You going to do this with me? Because <laughs> if we're going to plant this church, we're going to plant this church as a family. And it wasn't just our family that planted it. We had other families come alongside us that decided to plant it. 
We had the Salazar family come and plant with us. We had the Perez family come and plant with us. We had the Rosario family come and plant with us. We had different families. It was when families come together, big things happen. And the third reason why the enemy is after your family, listen, because it's vocational, because it's powerful, and because it's dysfunctional. It's easy pickings, y'all. You put four people, three people, two people in a room for years, <laughs> that stuff happens. It's easy. And you ought to be encouraged to know that families are dysfunctional because that just means your family's normal. If Jesus' family was dysfunctional, come on. It's almost permission. And so today, we're not going to avoid family issues. I'm not going to tell you how to avoid family drama, how to avoid family feuding. I'm gonna, I'm, the message today is that you don't have to avoid it, that you can go through it. And I want to teach you how to go through it today. But before we get into it, because it is pretty serious, the topic's kind of serious and it might hit home for a lot of us. I want to start with something funny. And I love uh, people be like, you've been preaching 10 minutes. You're going to start now. But I want to start with something funny. Um, and the funny thing I want to start with is uh, I like to look at kids' prayers, kids' letters. I do that a lot of my sermons. I just think kids are so honest. I saw this letter from a kid praying to God. I thought it was hilarious. Can we put it on the screen really quickly? Dear God, I bet it is very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. And I can never do it from, from Nan, from Nan. I thought that's hilarious. That's funny. I don't care what you say. All right. So the first step to finalizing the family feud, hear me, it's, not, it's the hardest step. And we, we're going to spend the most time on this, and I don't even know if we'll get to the rest of my points. I really hope because the next stuff will help. But if you can just start here, it's a big one, all right? Because if there's issues in your family, you've been hurt by them. And someone here says, well, I don't have a family. You've still been hurt by them because you either are hurt by, by their offense or you're hurt by their absence. But we all got family hurt, whether you think you have one or not. And so the question is, what will you do when they hurt you? And, and here's, the, here's the question, how do you forgive? It's the, it's the hardest step, the hardest one. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Verse 22, as many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. How do you forgive? A lot of times we can find the definition of something by defining what it's not. So can we do that? Let's first define what forgiveness is not. Here is what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not, it's okay. You need to know that. Forgiveness isn't saying what you did was fine. And it's almost built into us. I remember when I made my, my son apologize for hurting my other son for the first time. I remember doing this. I said, I said Justice, you got to apologize to Zane for hitting him. And he said, Zane, I'm sorry. And Zane, without being taught or trained, guess what words came out of his mouth? It's okay. And after I saw that, month after month, it's okay, I said, I don't want you to say it's okay anymore. When he hurts you, here's what you say. I forgive you. Because the problem with saying it's okay is that you give that, if it's okay, then you give that person permission to keep doing it. If it's okay, then go ahead. Why would they stop if it's okay? It's not okay. Forgiveness is not saying you didn't hurt me. Forgiveness is acknowledging that you hurt me. It has to start there. And also, it, you can't say it's okay because if you say it's okay, then shared fault becomes your fault. Let me break that down because I can tell you didn't get it because you didn't say amen or anything. And so... <laughs> Whenever there's a fight, because two people made a mistake. But if it's okay, 
then shared fault, shared responsibility for that mistake just becomes your fault. And some of y'all, I'm going to free you right now. This is all you need to hear in the sermon for some of y'all. Y'all have been apologizing for years because that's how you were trained as a child. Somebody bumps into you. I'm sorry. You were on your side of the road. Well, I just, I just don't want, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you're still apologizing for things in your marriage. You're apologizing for things with your brothers and sisters. You're apologizing for things at work that are a little bit your fault, but not all your fault. And you're stuck in a trap of guilt and shame. And you need to start by saying, no, 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 no. I know I'm not perfect, but what you did, it's not okay. And you need to start there. Forgiveness is not, don't do it again. (laughs) If you notice, Peter said, how many, he asked two questions. He said, how many times should I forgive my brother? But that was the second question. You know what the first question was? How many times will my brother sin against me? And Jesus answered both questions with one sentence. How many times should you forgive him? How many times will he hurt you? Seven times 70. Here's the problem with needing someone to be perfect before you forgive them or needing someone's behavior to change before you forgive them. If that's the way you're going to handle it, then you got to keep that same energy when you make a mistake. But the Bible says with the measure you use, it will be used against you. And so I've got to forgive you, even though you haven't figured this out yet, because there's a lot of things in my life I haven't figured out yet. And I can't allow you to wait for me to get perfect in order to be forgiven. We got to work on this as two broken people. Forgiveness is not passive aggressive punishment. You know who you are (laughs) in this room. Okay. You know what this is too. I I know when my wife's mad. You know when I know when my wife's mad? When she tells me she's not. (laughs) I know it. When I do something and I don't apologize the right way or right away, I look at her, I'll be like, babe, are you mad? She's like, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Which is really like, just wait. (laughs) Just wait. Just wait. I saw my sons doing that the other day. I asked them to do something, and they were like, oh, so so sure. He said, I'll just stop what I'm doing right now and go ahead and do it. I was like, woo. Woo. Simmer down, boy. Simmer down. It's like, I don't want to get angry. But I'm angry, and I'm going to make you find a way to pay for what you just did. You know what? One of the most, sometimes, sometimes one of the most passive-aggressive things you can say is, I forgive you. How many people have been there? Oh, I forgive you. I forgive you. I I forgive you. I forgive you. But I'm going to get you. (laughs) If you're taking notes, you need to write this down. Another person's punishment will never heal your pain. I'm going to make you punish. I'm going to punish you because we all find ways to make the people in our family punish. Because we know what bothers them. And we find ways to punish them thinking that if we punish them, it'll make me feel better. Another person's punishment will never heal your pain. That only worked one time in history, and that was with Jesus Christ on the cross. When his punishment healed the sins of the world. But you can't punish someone else thinking that's going to make you feel better. Here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is two things. Number one, forgiveness is a release of debt. Why do I say a release of debt? Because the word in the Greek, forgiveness, literally its context back then was in financial things. Today, if you want to get your loan erased, don't type into Google loan erasal. Go into Google and type in loan forgiveness. 
and you will find companies and you will find government initiatives that are designed to help eliminate your debt. Let me make this a little more practical. Imagine that you loaned somebody $1,000, like they borrowed $1,000 from you, okay? You with me? Yes? Good, 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 good. good. Somebody borrowed $1,000 from you, all right? And now every time you hang out with them, not only have they not paid you back, but they don't say anything either. So so y'all out to eat. He's laughing. She's having a good time. And you're sitting back at your meal thinking, oh, okay. So we're really not going to talk about this, are we? You're not going to bring it up at all? You're not saying it, but in your mind you're going, when are we going to get to what you took from me? Because we need to talk about this. That feeling of like, uh, hello, uh, you did this. That's what it's like to live with unforgiveness. Walking around all day with people, people close to you who owe you something but aren't even acknowledging it or paying it back. That's what unforgiveness is like. And because that's what unforgiveness is like, this is what forgiveness is like. Somebody owes you money, but someone else paid their debt. That's forgiveness. Someone else paid. That's why it's hard to forgive if you don't have the understanding of who Christ is and what he did in your life. Because the Bible says, look, verse, four, verse 32, chapter 4 in Ephesians. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Let me ask you a question. Whose sins did Jesus die for when he died on the cross? Shout it out. Just say, shout it out. The thing I heard there was ours. But he didn't just die for yours. He also died for theirs. That means the thing that that person did to you, Jesus died for that thing. In other words, you're trying to get someone else to pay a bill that's already been paid. The reason why I can forgive you is because I understand how forgiveness works. I don't forgive you because you deserve it. I don't forgive you because you paid me back. I forgive you because he paid it all. He paid for my sins and he paid for your sins. Now, I'm going to approach this relationship with wisdom. I might not loan you money anymore. I might might have to not live life with you the same way that I lived it. But, hey, we're good. There's nothing between you and me anymore. That's been covered. It's been covered. Forgiveness is a release of debt. And finally, forgiveness is a process. You know that number, 7 times 70, is 490. You know Jesus didn't just pull that number out of a hat, right? Like that number was symbolic. And because he was speaking to Jewish people at the time, the Jewish people knew exactly what that number meant. That number represented the end of the world. Let me explain. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it'll go up on the screen in just a second. Daniel, who's a prophet, it's in the Bible, he's prophesying the end of the world. And he goes, seven times 70 is the length of time God has set for freeing your people and your holy city from sin and evil. Sin will be forgiven and eternal. Now, crazy, it's 490 years from that. Guess who comes on the scene? Jesus. So he prophesied Jesus bringing an end to sin. But at the time, everybody who understood this passage stood it as, understood it as the end of the world. And so when Jesus answers the question, how often should I forgive my brother? Jesus' real answer was not seven times 70. Jesus' answer was, you should forgive them until the end of the world. Because some people think that forgiveness is a one-time thing. 
Even as I'm talking to you right now, there are people who are like, I don't need to hear about forgiveness. I already forgave him. Yeah, you did that one time with a counselor three years ago. But don't act like there are things in life that have you triggered. You, you, go to, you go to office and your boss asks you to do something and be like, you're just like my mom. <laughs> and your boss is like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what that, I just asked for the stapler. I apologize for that. And we still carry this pain. It's not that you didn't forgive her. It's that you got to forgive over and over and over. Forgiveness is what we do every time we feel like they owe me money. We come back and we ask for forgiveness again. And once you answer that question, here's the next question. How do I fix it? Because forgiveness happens inside. I can forgive you, but the relationship still be a mess. So the next question is, but how do I fix this relationship? How do me and my brother get on the right side? How do me and my spouse get on the right side again? I want to restore this. And the answer to that question is not forgiveness. The answer to that question is reconciliation. This is a good word. You'll find this in your Bible. What it means is to bring back together again, to restore a relationship to what it once was. Now, a couple things about reconciliation. A couple things about reconciliation. Disclaimers. Number one, you can't fix it until you forgive it. If you don't get it in that order... You'll try and make things look right on the outside when they're still jacked up on the inside. So if you're married and you have kids, for example, here's what you'll tell your spouse. Hey, let's just make it work for the kids. And then when they leave the house, then we'll deal with our issues. That's not going to work. Or you got family members that you're like, hey, listen, we can't really stand each other. But listen, every Thanksgiving and every Christmas, we'll, we'll, we'll hang out. But aside from that, we're not going to work on it. And that doesn't help. That's like putting a Band-Aid on coronavirus. It looks like you're making progress but you ain't helping nobody. You got to do it. And here's the second thing, and this is the catch right here. It only takes one person to forgive. I don't need your help to forgive you. I can forgive without you, but it takes two people to reconcile. In other words, this is the part I didn't want to say, but I got to say it. There are some issues in your family that will never get fixed because they require two people to fix it. I know that's a hard word to receive, but it's, it's the truth. Some things in life take two people to fix, guys, because it took two people to fight. It takes two people to fix. Recently, my garage broke. I don't know if you've ever had a garage door break. It usually makes a really loud sound when it breaks because that garage has been, it was the garage door we had from the beginning of the home. The home was built in like 1984 or something like that. And one day, it was, it was last week actually, the garage was coming up and then boom, the loudest noise. I ran downstairs. My wife is coming out. She's dying laughing because that is her defense mechanism. When things scare her or freak her out, she just laughs. <laughs> it's kind of scary. Um, so she comes out. She's like, hey, the garage. <laughs> I'm like, that's not, it's a lot of money. So I go the, and the coil broke in half. And what was tough was that our cars were in the garage when they broke. So I'm like, oh, now we got, I got to go somewhere. How are we going to get out of this garage? And I remembered how to do it. Um, there's a, a lock on top. You got to pull the lock. Then the, the door becomes loose, but it doesn't become light. <laughs> it becomes loose, but that thing still weighs about 550 pounds. And so, and so I tried to do it without her because I'm, I'm, you know, the guy and that's just that stereotype. I try and, I got this big ball friction. And so I get under this garage. My back is still hurting, guys. And I got under the, and I was like, I get the garage over my head, and then I realize this is going to fall on me. <laughs> Who is going 
to lock it. Because once you unlock it, you got to pull a red cord and, and lock it again. And so at that point, I got the garage on my head. I'm like, babe, <laughs> babe, <laughs> I need your help. Y'all think I'm laughing. I brought a picture. Go ahead, put it on the screen. That's me right there. She had to get the ladder. She had to lock it. Here's my point. It took one person to fix it. It took one person to lift and one person to lock. And this is such a great picture of reconciliation when it works with two people. And if you just take Liz out of the picture, it's a great picture of what it looks like when one family member is trying to fix a problem that it takes two people to fix. You are there. You did the lifting. You could, you could take it off the screen. You did the lifting. And some of y'all have been lifting your family since you were 15, 16 years old. And nobody wants to help. And now the weight of fixing your family is under your head and it's crushing you. It's crushing you. And this is what it looks like. Every time you go to counseling, you're doing the heavy lifting. Every time you have a conversation, you're doing the heavy lifting. Anytime someone in your family needs something, they call you because guess what? You go to church. And so that means you're strong and you pray. Every time they have dinner, can you pray for the food? You can pray too. And, and I'll, I'll do all the heavy lifting because they think that you're strong and you are strong, but you're not Jesus. And eventually trying to fix every problem in your family by yourself is going to collapse on your head. It's going to crush you. It cannot work that way. You need to. And I just want to give you permission today to let go. 2 Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God who reconciled us to him through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. If you look at that verse, there are two things. This is how reconciliation works. First off, the Bible says God did it for us. In other words, if you want to reconcile a relationship, you have to take the initiative. That is true. Because you're a believer, if you are a believer, you need to take the first step and say, I'm going to be the one to try and fix this thing. But it also says, not only did God reconcile us, but he's also waiting for reconciliation. In other words, I can lift it, but I can't lift it and lock it. Someone else has to take the step forward and lift it. For, and, 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 if, and if they're not there, I'm just going to give you permission from your pastor. It's okay to let go. I did not say divorce. I did not say change your last name. I said let go. You love each other. Serve each other. Of course, if you're divorced, no judgment. I'm just saying that's not God's ultimate plan for your life. But if, if you made that choice, it's what happened. Now let's move forward. Because you, you can't force someone to fix something. You can't force them. You know, the crazy thing about Liz pulling that, she almost couldn't do that. Because she had just had a surgery. If I had tried to force her to fix what she was not ready to fix, I could have done more damage than good. You know, you might be hurting the person you're trying to help. Because they're not ready to fix that area of their life yet. But now let's say a couple weeks pass by, a couple months pass by, Liz gets out of her car, it starts raining, and her hair and her makeup that she spent so much time on, all of a sudden it starts to get messed up. She's going to look at that garage and go, man, I think it's time we fix that. Here's what I'm trying to say. You can't make someone want to fix an issue. Only life can do that. But life will do that eventually. Life will turn that person around, we hope, at some point, and then you can get, then you can get. So how do you forgive how do I fix it? Takes two. Sometimes you can't do it by yourself. Here's the third one. How do we move forward? Whether you reconcile or not, 
whether you reconcile or not, this is the next question. Whether we can make it work or whether we can't make it work and my family doesn't, it doesn't work here, the next step is always, okay, well, then where do we go from here? Or maybe you do decide that you want to reconcile with that family member, but still, where does it go from here? Because maybe some family members are toxic and, and they hurt and all this stuff. That is boundaries. Boundaries. Y'all can play in the back. Boundaries. Boundaries. What are boundaries? Sometimes it helps to illustrate uh, better than to talk about it. And so boundaries are uh, best understood when you imagine property lines. A property, okay? I want you to imagine property. I'm terrible at drawing. But these are just rectangles. I shouldn't mess this up. <laughs> okay. So here is your property. All right? The first step in setting boundaries is understanding that this is your property because you have a deed. And that means that you own or you take ownership over this property. This is so important to understand that you have ownership. Because when you have ownership, then you understand what only you can do and what no one else can do. So I have a neighbor and that neighbor is there. And if that neighbor wants to paint his house purple, that's cool. He can do that. That's his property. But just because he paints his house purple doesn't mean that he can make me paint my house pink. You can do what you want to do with your property, but this is my property and I get to control what goes down on my property. I control my life. You can't control it for me. This is actually a fruit of the spirit, guys. In the Bible, we talk about all these things that God produces in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness. Here's one, self-control. I only can control self. In other words, this is how it works. If you want to yell at me, that's fine, but you can't make me yell at you. If you want to disrespect me, that's fine. It's not okay. I, I, I forgive you. It's not okay, but you can't make me disrespect you. I am responsible for my own behavior. I am responsible for my own emotions. I'm responsible for my own attitude. I'm responsible for my own joy. Forgive me if I ever went to you for that. That's my job. My joy is my job. I'm responsible for my own peace. I'm responsible. I take ownership. You can't control what I do. This is my life, okay? Now the problem is, so you have to be responsible for your life. The problem is we live with family, which means that our neighbors are our family. They live in the same neighborhood and you can't get really far away from them. And some of those family members don't take care of their property as good as you do. So one day, because they don't take care of their tree, that's a good tree. They don't trim the branches, they don't do what they need to do in their life, a storm hit and their branch falls on your property. Now what doesn't belong here is now here. And what we call that is trespassing. Because something of theirs is in my life. Matter of fact, what does the Bible call offense? Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive others there, you trespass it. Let me say it another way. You are paying the consequences of someone else's bad decisions. Say amen if you've been there. You better say amen if you've been there. And so you ain't got a job, but because you ain't got a job, now you're living at my house, going, staying out late at night, getting drunk, throwing up in my living room. Now I'm cleaning up your living room, literally bailing you out time and time again. I am now paying the price for your decisions. What do we do in family like that? 
when someone else's decisions end up hurting us? The answer, boundaries. We control them and we don't try and change them. What we do is we communicate to them really clearly. Hey, if your branch falls on my property one more time, <laughs> I just need to tell you there's a line. And, and so in other words, can I, can I make it personal? I can't loan you the money anymore. The boundary. Uh, you didn't plan well, I can't babysit for you whenever you call me because I got my own, I got my own family here. I can't, I can't babysit for you all the time. Hey, listen, I appreciate the fact that these are your grandkids, but before they're your grandkids, they're my kids. And so if you're going to be around them, you're going to have to raise them a certain way. You're going to have to talk to them a certain way. Just because they're your grandkids doesn't mean you can come over to the house whenever you want. You please call. Please call. You can't just come. Listen, I love you. You're my husband and I will serve you. But if you lay your hands on me one more time, I'm gone. Me and the heart, we're out. Just want you to know that's the boundary. Because I was at Journey Church and Journey Church told me that I can't control your issues. So if I can't control your issues, I'm not going to let your issues control me. I'm not going to let your issues control me. <laughs> this will free you. Are you ready? If you haven't written down anything at all today, write this down. I'm responsible to you, but I'm not responsible for you. That'll free a family member right now. I'm responsible to communicate. I'm responsible to love. I'm responsible to forgive. But I'm not responsible for your property. That's your property. That's your life. You got to make those decisions. I can't make those decisions for you. So there has to be boundaries. Because number one, and I'm going to end here, I need to protect me. I need, the Bible says, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. I need to protect me. You know, Jesus, how many disciples did Jesus have? Shout it out. Most people believe it's 12. Those are the 12 that you know of. The Bible actually says he has 72. But you only hear about 12 because he let the 12 in at a deeper level that he didn't let the 72. He had boundaries. And then out of the 12, there were three, James, John, and Peter. He brought closer. Even Jesus knew not everybody can live here. Some people need to leave here and leave here because they don't guard my heart the right way. I got to create boundaries. What happens when you're on the airplane? What do they tell you on the airplane? Hey, if the pressure drops and the mask falls down, what do they tell you to do? Put your mask on first, then go ahead and help someone. Some of y'all keep trying to help people in your family and you're suffocating because you're not taking care of yourself first. You need to protect you. Then when you protect you, listen, and I want a relationship with you. I need to protect me and I want a relationship with you. Boundaries aren't walls. I'm not saying I can't have a relationship with you. I'm saying if we're gonna have a relationship, this is how it has to work. So boundaries help me love you. Boundaries help me live with you. I wanna go into an important prayer moment right here today because we can't do boundaries without the other person. We have to communicate that to them. And we can't do uh, reconciliation. But there's one thing we can do together as a church, as a group, and I kind of want this to be a group project. Here's one thing we can do. Are you ready? Today, we can forgive. And if you're here at church today and there's someone who has hurt you in your life, and I know what you're thinking, I already forgave that person. Okay, then just for kicks, would you join me in forgiving them again? 
Because that we can do right here, right now. There's a brother-in-law, a sister-in-law, a mother-in-law, a husband, an ex-husband, a child, someone in your family who betrayed your trust, who hurt you. Here's what I want to do today. It won't be long, but it will be intimate and it will be personal. All over this room, if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to imagine the face of that person who hurt you in your family. Remember that the enemy is out to destroy this part of your life. I want you to think about that family member. Grandfather, a grandmother, a mother, a father. Somebody who hurt you. Man, I thought I was over it. Why? How come this person keeps coming to mind? I thought I had already forgiven them. I can't believe that this is still happening to me. I can't believe he touched me like that. I can't believe she said that about me. Nobody knows. It's been eating me up on the inside. I was a child. I couldn't protect myself. They hurt you. Here's the first step we take right here, right now. Release them of that debt right now. Not because they deserve it, not because they did anything, but because that sin was already paid for by Jesus Christ. I'm gonna give you 30 seconds right now. Release them from that debt. Release them from that debt. Release them from that debt right now. Release them from that debt right now. Let go right now. It's already paid for. I release it. I let it go. Come on, this is a, a group project sermon. I can't do this by myself. I can lift, but you need to lock it. Release them of that debt right now. Whatever you did to me, what you said to me, I let it go. I release it. It's not okay. It hurt. It hurt me and it affected my life. But I release you from that debt today and again and again and again and again. Because forgiveness is a process. Amen. And if you're in this room right now, if you're in this room right now and that was hard for you, it might be because you've never experienced forgiveness for yourself. And so if you would like to experience the forgiveness of God, that forgiveness, that, that erasal, that removal of your debt for every decision you made. When I count to three, I want you to shoot your right hand up in the sky. God, I need you to forgive me. Erase my past. Erase my debt because I'm ready to give you all my life, all my love, all my heart, all my soul. I'm ready to lay it down. If that's you all over this building on three. Raise your right hand. I'm, I'm ready to receive your forgiveness. Release me of my debt. One, two, if you want forgiveness all over this room raise your right hand on three one two three right now raise your right hand come on i see that hand one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen hands come on repeat this prayer after me father god forgive me release me of my debt release me of my pain my poor choices my past say this i let it go i give it all to you and help me forgive others as you've forgiven me. Come on, I lay it all down today. All my love, all my love, all my love, all my heart, all my soul, I lay it at your feet. I lay it down, I lay it down. Come on, church, let's stand up to our feet and worship and lock this in. Come on, I can let go of that debt. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.